Welcome to Refuge. I uh, <clears throat> most importantly want to welcome you to the very presence of God in not a building, but a person who is our refuge. So the whole reason why we named this church Refuge, because we, we want to point everyone to him. We want to make sure that everyone knows that he is the only refuge that is worthwhile, that is eternal, and that can provide forgiveness of our sins, grace, and eternal life in his glory. Only Jesus Christ. And to him alone we give glory. This morning we are going to conclude our study in the book, uh, or John's first letter, First John. We are going through verses 13 through 21. Uh, so concluding uh, this letter. I want to make uh, a mention though. I do want to note. A couple of things. Last Sunday, I, the Spirit stirred within my own that I was to uh, call upon the church to spend some time in prayer afterwards. You know, the, this whole letter that we've gone through, 1 John from chapter 1 all the way through, and as we will see here in chapter 5, is God's desire that none should perish, but that everyone reach repentance. That we would be not doubtful, not timid about, but confident in our salvation. You know, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And he was writing to the little children. In other words, he was writing to his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, in the world in which we're living in, there is a, um, a dumbing down of Christianity. There is a, um, a, a sense of, of compromise that has infiltrated the ranks of the believers and we cannot continue going down that path and believe and think that perhaps the church is okay. We need to be serious about our walk with the Lord, our faith. Because what can be determined at the conclusion of our lives is that we never belong to him to begin with. And then you have all eternity. Not in glory, but apart from God and in hell, eternal suffering and pain. Last Sunday, I, I was stirred to call upon you to make a commitment. If anyone was, was compromised in their walk, if you needed to recommit, to, to do it now, do it now. Come up, just make a public statement of recommitment to the Lord. And I also called upon anyone who was sitting here that had never surrendered their lives to Christ to do it. And what did I tell you? Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Going out those doors is not promised to anyone. I say that with great confidence in a plea to you. Please, do not hear these words that we're about to go into and take them for granted. They're words of eternal life. On Sunday, we had a young man he was standing in the back, listening. There's no other place that he'd rather be. He found great joy being here. He communicated. He said, I, there's, there's no place I'd rather be. I, I feel at such peace being here amongst my brothers and sisters. Last July, um, 
We had been praying for him for a long time. And it was in July that he surrendered his life to Christ. It was genuine. Because he desired to know more about God. He would ask me, Pastor, how does this fit? How does this look in my life? Like he wanted to apply the word to his life. And there was an obvious struggle between the flesh and the spirit. But it was only because the spirit was alive and well. Capital S, the Holy Spirit within him. Monday night, he spent time with his family. But Tuesday, the Lord chose to take him home. Our beloved Georgie Miranda went home to be with the Lord on Tuesday morning. He's not the only one, though. You remember our sister Irene went home to be with the Lord. Well, the Lord called her mother, Sally, home to be with the Lord. I just received a call this morning from my sister that a cousin of ours, you could say in all respects, young, a little older than, than myself, he died. Listen, we take life for granted. I, I say all this not to, to do anything, but, but place reality before you, please. Like, we need to sober up. We need to be clear-minded. We need to understand the, these aren't words. We're not playing church. We're not gathering together to, to fill the place up. We want to make sure your heart's filled with the Holy Spirit, that you are sealed for the day of redemption, that you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? And if you have not responded to that, why not? What more do you have to see? What more do you have to know? The world has nothing to offer to you except for death, destruction. That's all it has to offer. How sweet is that? It's wicked. It's perverse. And yet Jesus Christ himself offers himself. He shed his blood on the cross for you to pay for your sins. You couldn't even pay for your own sins. We can't pay for our own sins. God did it all. All we have to do is surrender, yield to him, believe on him. I also have a brother in Christ of mine who right now, and you know him because he's taught here, Pastor Mike Ursioli of Calvary Chapel, Ontario. He right now is at the point of entering into glory. This is, this is reality. Brothers and sisters, this is what we have before us, but that's not the end. That's, that's what I want to bring across to you. In Christ, we, ha we are victorious over not only sin, but the grave. But we need to believe. We need to surrender our lives to the Lord. We need to be serious about our faith and our walk with him. And so I would just ask that you would pray for the family, but also think about Think about yourselves. Think about your own life. Because I promise you, at this very moment, if Georgie could come back and tell you anything, he would say, it's all true. It's all true. It's beyond the descriptions that the description that any words any human words can put together to describe where he is right now or any of the others who have preceded us in Christ take what i am about to go over serious take it to heart
I do it for no other reason but to be faithful to the Lord and hope that someone responds to what we have before us. Trust you in the Lord. This morning's message in the title is, um, By This We Know. By This We Know. Please open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5 if you haven't already. And we'll read through uh, the final portion of this this chapter, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. The Apostle John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, Keep yourselves from idols. Oh, Father, as we come to you this morning, we do desire that you would minister to us by your word and according, accordingly uh, by the work of your spirit, Lord, as you know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, I pray that your word would cut deep, that it would expose anything that is not of you. And that we would humble ourselves greatly before you. Lord, and, and trust in you and yield ourselves to you that, Lord, you would do a special work in our hearts this morning. May we give you our undivided attention. May we be fixed upon you, focused upon your word. And interested, leaning in to what you would have to say to your church. That we may continue to, to believe on you, to grow in our faith, and to be sanctified. That is continually molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. That we may reflect him in our lives and bless you. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, I pray. May we have a listening ear and a heart to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, John began his letter testifying of Jesus Christ. As we, we learned of that at the end of last year, as we started going into this letter, we understand how it is that John began this, this letter. And he was excited. You could see his passion in, in the words that he wrote to the brethren testifying of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, the one who was from the beginning, which he had seen, which he had heard, which he had looked upon, and whom he had touched with his own hands, whom he had embraced, leaned upon, heard from, followed, and even ate with. The word of life made manifest. It is he who, of whom John was testifying of. In the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The purpose of the Gospel of John is very plainly laid out for us in John chapter 20, verse 31. Where John says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, as we've, we've gone through the Gospel of John, the whole purpose of it is that our belief would be just further established for the believers and then for any unbelievers would come to that place of believing, of repenting and trusting in the name of Jesus Christ. That you may believe and have eternal life. As we consider John's first letter, we see the purpose of that, of his testimony as we, I pointed to you the beginning of 1 John chapter 1. It was so that they would all have fellowship together because of their fellowship, as he said in verses 3 and 4, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, it was John who wrote in 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Why is that? Because this life is but a vapor. It comes and goes. And the only thing that will be of any value whatsoever is what we do with the Son. And if we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we will have a new heart, a new desire, a new purpose, a new hope, and we ourselves will produce, not by our own power or strength, but by the Spirit that indwells us, the fruit of the Spirit. And we will walk in the Spirit. We will desire the things that bless the Lord. We will walk in the truth. We've seen that throughout this whole letter, have we not? That we prove that we belong to the Lord and he belongs to us. He's our, he's our king, he's our savior, he's our Lord because we've walked the truth out in obedience to him. And his commands are not burdensome. This brings great joy. To, to genuine brothers and sisters in Christ, this brings great joy. One person repents and comes to the Lord. Oh, the, the church rejoices. The heavens rejoice. John also knew that if his joy was complete, then those who also believed in Jesus Christ and surrendered their lives to him would also know a joy that is complete in Christ Jesus. Salvation, hope, God's grace, eternal forgiveness. An eternal destination that will be fully known in God's glory. John's passion was that all would have a salvific relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a superficial one, not just, I know at some point, I hope. No, he, his, his, his confidence was in the Lord and he wanted everyone else to have that confidence in the Lord. To know that they are saved. To enjoy the fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and with the brethren. This all comes together. It can't be separated. Well, I have um, a love for the Father. Well, if you don't have a love for the Son, then you don't have the Father. And how, it is, how is it that we reveal or we demonstrate our love for Jesus Christ? It's by loving the brethren. 
By this all people will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. You can't separate those three. You, you cannot do that. It all comes together. Jesus made it possible for people to be reconciled to the Father through the full payment he made for our sins by his blood on the cross. To know reconciliation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then, to possess that confidence in our salvation by being able to recognize the fruit of repentance. By seeing, knowing. The keeping of God's commandments. Living by the leading of the Holy Spirit as Jesus leads according to his word. By loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, choosing, choosing to not hate them. By not practicing sin. That is habitual, intentional sin. If Christ abides in us and we in him, it's to know these things. Knowing that we have the indwelling of the Spirit and the Spirit abides in us. John's desire, and more importantly, God's desire, is that followers of Christ would be confident in their salvation. That's what God's desire is for each and every person here, that you would be confident in your salvation, that you belong to him. In that, we could rejoice. We could all rejoice. But what that leads to is action. That there would be action on our behalf, in our faith in God, that we would lead more people to Christ because we would be doing the work of, of an evangelist. And then we would be willing to and desire to fulfill also the great commission of making disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey the commandments of the Lord, the very word of God. You know, that's what's going on right now as we sit in here in those classrooms with the kids. Just teaching the word, helping them understand and showing them how it is that the Lord loves us and why it is that we should respond with love toward him by being obedient to him. I pray that the, the precious little souls in there, that they'll grow in their confidence in the Lord and just believe on him as, you know, God, but their own personal savior. You know, our confidence in Christ will lead to action that glorifies the one we love. We will quit doubting and start, start doing. We will quit doubting and we will start acting upon the faith that we claim to have. How do we do this? How, how, how does it come about? Well, this confidence, as he writes here in verse 13, again, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked him. Ask. Know and ask. There is not one person who has surrendered their lives to Christ that tires of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what John has written in this letter is plain. It's clear. It's understandable. John's intent was that the reader would believe all the more. Because remember, the audience that John wrote this to were fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He wanted them to have confidence in their salvation, an assurance that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ and that we may continue to believe, trust, and obey our Lord. Hey, listen, if you're trusting in yourself for salvation, eternal life, then you will fall short, get this now, 
You ready? 100% of the time. It's like, well, obviously, pastor. (laughs) We know that. And yet, sometimes we, we confuse ourselves. We deceive ourselves and act as if it depends on us. Why do I know that? Because anxiety sets in, worry sets in, doubt sets in, compromise sets in. It's you're, you're relying on yourself. And, and then you get fooled by the enemy. And then you, you remove yourself from the fellowship of the saints. That's the enemy fooling your own heart. You know what you need to do? You know what we need to do when we fall? You guys know? Yeah, so confession, confess, confess your sins. So that is very humbling. You know that? Because what you're saying is, I agree with you, God. I have sinned against you. I've sinned. I've fallen short. And then when we confess, we ask him for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we need to genuinely come and confess those sins to him. And then repent. Repent's the other part of it. To to repent is to stop doing what we were doing and then start doing that which is honoring and glorifying to the Lord. There's a putting off of the sin and putting on of righteousness and holiness in our lives. The acts of holiness and righteousness. You know, the thing is, is it takes us too long. We think it's a process. We fool ourselves. Again, we think maybe salvation even in that moment is a process of the flesh. It, it's not. We need to stop. We need to stop being prideful. We need to stop being stubborn. We need to stop being selfish. We need to humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. I, I can't. It's, I don't know. I, I my heart's not right at this time, and I don't know if I'm ready to do that. You heard that? I'm just not, I'm just not ready. I can't bring myself to doing that. No, it's in and of your own power. Is that what you're trying to do? Trying to do it by your own strength? No, listen, Christianity is a faith of confrontation. This is what happens all the time. God is not one that says, do whatever it is that you need to do. Just, I want you to be happy. That is not, that is not the God of the Bible. He confronts sin. At that moment, we have a choice to make. We either agree with him or we disagree. Our disagreement does not make true uh, what is true, false, and our truth to be truth. It doesn't work like that. We simply, at that very moment, we have a choice to make. Do we agree and confess? Because when we fall, that's all we have to do. I'm telling brothers and sisters, that's all we have to do. Humble ourselves and confess. As David did when he was confronted sinned against you and you alone. He was willing to take the consequences of his sin. But he confessed. Are we willing to do that? You know, there's this thing happening in Asbury. I don't know if you've heard of it. They're calling it a revival. At this point, I don't know if it's a revival or not. I just know it's a, perhaps a, a work of the Spirit, specifically there. Kentucky, right? They've had basically a prayer and worship service for like a week and a half, nonstop. Testimony. I don't know if there's going to be, uh, there's been teaching of the word, but 
See, uh, revival also is the word is in there as well. And there's a teaching of the word. There's a response to the word. There is a, a, a great repentance because of the word that is taught and proclaimed. You know, revival can happen here. I, I'm always praying that revival happen in our hearts here first. No, we simply ask for forgiveness. And we get back up. And we keep going. We persevere. We do, do not grow weary in the Lord. And we just keep moving forward. If your salvation depends on what Jesus Christ has done, then you can know that you have eternal life and that it is sure in Christ alone. Confidence. This confidence is revealed in the genuine believer through action. The manner in which we conduct ourselves, the, the manner in which we come together before the Lord. When we know our Lord and Savior and trust Him for everything, then we ask. We ask according to his will. Uh, we, we're not naming and claiming. That, that's not the way it works. Okay, The prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. It's a false gospel. We ask. Why? Because again, we're expressing this trust in and this yielding to the authority of God in our lives. Our will yielding to his will. And so you can't demand things from God. Just think about that statement. We're going to demand things from God. <laughs> okay. He is God. He's the creator of the universe. When you don't know the Lord, you will ask amiss. Your prayers will be out of place, inappropriate, not quite right, according to the word. And James Chapter 4, verse 1, says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do you not have? Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We ask amiss, but we are to ask. We don't know the Lord. If we don't know his will, we, um, we don't ask right. Or we ask for ourselves. According to the Bible, and we all know that this very well, that the flesh desires things much different than what the Spirit desires, right? Much different. And if you do not discipline the flesh, then what happens is you start to act upon the desires of the flesh. The flesh can become so strong that as we read here in James chapter 4, it can become so strong that one begins to fight and quarrel because you covet and get frustrated because you cannot obtain and eventually, you begin to do whatever is necessary to fulfill the desires of the flesh. Feed yourself with the things of the world and what pleases the flesh, and the flesh will grow stronger. Neglect and deny the spirit. And your conscience may at some point become seared. And you are no longer sensitive to, to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit but when you discipline the flesh and bring it under submission to the Spirit then your requests and actions will reflect confidence in Jesus Christ and desire his will because you've come to know that it is good in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 the Apostle Paul says in verse 24 do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 
but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's saying, listen, this is what we all ought to do. I myself bring my body, my tongue under subjection to the Lord. We all ought to do this, the same thing. Otherwise, if I'm not doing it, then what I am preaching to you, the very word would come back to judge me and I would be disqualified. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, it says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus speaking to his disciples was saying, he acknowledged, hey, listen, the spirit, like we desire to do certain things, but you know, the flesh is weak. So pay attention. It doesn't give you excuses. It doesn't justify your shortcomings. What happens is we ought to be more attentive to the things that could happen because we are paying more attention to the flesh than we are to the spirit. Otherwise, there would be no accountability. Do you know the secret of prayer? Doing it. It's just, of course, you know, the obvious thing is just participate in prayer, right? The secret of prayer is belief in the one who can. Confidence in the Lord our God. Where do we begin in prayer? Um, let me ask you this. Uh, when you were a child and you were in need of something or you desired something, what would you do? You would go to your dad or your mom. You knew which one would give it to you, right? So you'd go to the one that would give it to you. And what would you do? I claim... I demand? No, hopefully not, because that would, would get you something else, right? <laughs> you would ask, right? You'd ask. Where do you begin in prayer? Sometimes, you know, there are people who say, well, I, I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to ask? If you know how to ask, you know how to pray. If you acknowledge who God is and that uh, he is able to give you everything that you need. Do you have anything to ask for? I have tons of things to ask for. A lot. My prayers can go on and 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 on. Right? Prayer time is not a time for many sermons or devotions. To impress the people around you. That's not what that's for. Prayer is a time to meet with the Lord and ask him, and then wait for a response. That is, acknowledging his will over ours. You know, in the morning when we pray for the service here and for all of the ministries that take place, we're asking that God would move, that he would move in your hearts, prepare your hearts, bring people through those doors, and that we would worship together corporately, that he would be honored and glorified, through everything that we do say and think and the manner in which we conduct ourselves with each other. All of those things. But we're asking, we're asking, we're asking him to do this work. God desires that we ask and that ask is to be anything is what he says here. Again, let's go back to 1 John chapter 5. He says... And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask, right, and if we ask anything, we can ask anything, and yet it is to be anything that is in the specific according to his will. If it is, our prayers meet these conditions because that's what it needs to be. It needs, first of all, we need to be confident in asking. Ask anything, but ask it according to his will. Remember, we just went through James chapter 4. We know where the origin of it, trouble comes from. We don't want to ask like that. We want to ask according to his will. And if we are, then he hears us, is what he says. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 11 says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We acknowledge that, every good gift. He's the, he's the possessor of every good gift. So who are we going to ask, right? Again, going back to the illustration of, of the, 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 the child and the parent, we are asking why? Because we know that they can provide those things that we need. We go to the Father for everything. When we align our will with his will, we have confidence knowing that what we ask is what he hears and what he desires to do. We bless him by even asking, I know this is your will. I desire that too. Will you? Then ask. It pleases him. It blesses him. What's even more amazing is to think that God desires to work in us and through us. It's more amazing that he desires that our trust in him would increase. Doesn't our love for him grow in direct proportion to our trust in him? And doesn't our trust in him reveal itself in what we ask and in whom we place our confidence? So ask. Know and ask. Secondly, ask for others. Progressing a little further, as we consider how it is that God has called us to love one another, ask for others. Verse 16, this is, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. For us, just a question, something to consider. How often do you pray for others? Not just for those who, um, you know, do good toward you, but, but uh, remember, we are to, to pray for our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. We are to pray for everyone. And if we know God's will, how would you pray for someone uh, who is lost. And you pray that the Lord would smite them or right, they've done harm to me and so therefore I, I pray that the Lord would take them out. No, right? We, we pray because what do we know? We know that God desires that none should perish but that all should reach repentance, right? So we pray accordingly. Lord, only you know the heart. And we pray, Lord, that you would stir in their hearts, that you would, that your kindness would draw them unto you, yourself. And Lord, that you would bring them, lead them to that place of surrendering their hearts to you. That they would come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. How often do you pray for someone who is sinning? Do you even know if a brother or sister is in habitual sin or in, in sin? How would you know unless you have a relationship in which you can trust each other and confess our sin to one another? Those are the types of relationships. Again, you know, the strength of this church has to do with how much individuals within the church trust Jesus Christ for everything and follow through with his word. If you're willing to, and if you invest yourself in the lives of each other and you do these things, I can tell you this church will be better for it and will be stronger. And anyone who comes through those doors will walk into that kind of a fellowship. That is, that's awesome. It's honoring and glorifying to the Lord. Not at the first sign of offense, head for the hills, I'm out of here. No. We are told what the word says when a brother or sister offends. 
It's not to run. It's to confront. Right? Loving. In a loving way. Confront. There's a, there's a chapter, Matthew 18. You, go, you follow that process. The whole point of that is reconciliation. And that's what glorifies the Lord. Reconciliation. Honoring him. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Your interest in spiritual investment in each other is vital to the overall health of the church. In fact, in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I remember this, these verses very well. When I was in a backslidden state, I was living in compromise. And I remember bringing these verses to the brothers who helped restore me. And I told them, this is you. so grateful they took the time because they got covered up multitude of sins they could have cast me off to the side and I don't know I just prayed for him but they didn't forever grateful See, when you pray for one another, it's fulfilling the command to love the brethren, which is in line with God's will. And God desires that none should perish, but that all reach repentance. Therefore, God wills for that prayer for another to be fulfilled. And there is great power in him in whom we trust and know is able. If anyone knows what sin will lead to physical death, then you have great insight. I, I don't know what that may be. I have ideas as, as we look at scripture, because this is what we are told also here. That he's not saying, you know, pray for someone who is committing a sin that leads to death. That is, it, it's, it's very clearly um, a thought of and, and uh, spoken of here that uh, uh, this is a sin that leads to physical death. Um, examples of this, we see it in Scripture, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5, and the result of them lying to the Holy Spirit, on the spot they died. The result of that was that great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things, Acts chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, if the Lord was still doing that today, like in the same way, can you imagine That's why I am thankful for God's grace. I am, because there are many people who make themselves appear to be something they are not. It's the same thing that Ananias and Sapphira was doing. There'd be, there would be more people that would just simply drop dead on the spot. There are also those who were partaking of communion in Corinth, as we learned this morning. We were reminded of that who were taking it flippantly without reverence toward God or the fellowship of the saints. And because of that, many among the body of believers were weak, sick, and were dying. 1 Corinthians 11.30. Of course, we are not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We are not to lie to the Holy Spirit. and have, We are to have reverence toward God at all times, confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. We know that this is what God's will is, and therefore we ought to pray for one another and follow through with that love for one another. But I want to go into this last section before we conclude. By this we know. Verse 18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but 
He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Uh, anyone who says that he can't help himself, can't keep himself from habitual sin, doesn't know God. Or the salvation that freed him from the power of sin. I'm reminded of what it says in, in Romans chapter 6, verses, uh, ver verse 5, beginning there. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Very clear, right? If you claim to not have any power, you cannot, you can't do it. Well, again, if you're relying on the flesh, you're right. But if you're in Christ, you're wrong. Sin no longer has dominion over you. We just read it. No longer has power over you. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify or fulfill the lust of the flesh is what the Bible tells us. Well, this is not something that John said that was new either because in John chapter 3 verses 4 through 10, he stated this already. We've already gone through this. John has stated it clearly and is reiterating it here in this last portion of chapter 5. Jesus protects and the evil one does not touch him. As he says here, this means that the devil cannot attach himself to the child of God. That is the person who is reborn in Christ. Satan cannot lay hold of you. Satan has no power over you. Satan cannot grasp you. He cannot cling to you. He cannot do that. He does not have that authority or power over you if you are in Christ. He cannot. He can't harass you, though. It's, it's from a distance. Those fiery darts, um, they, they come from a distance. But he cannot lay hold of you. So hold up that shield of faith to quench the fiery darts that are flung toward you. Listen, we know this to be true. It comes from the very word of God. We also know that we belong to God, but the world is under the leadership of the wicked one. Very clear. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. John chapter 17, this is the high priestly prayer. And Jesus said in John 17, verses 15 through 19, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're passing through. We're pilgrims, sojourners. One day... One day we will be home. But for now, 
Let us be about our Father's business. Let us bless him. The last two verses bring us back to how John started his letter. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is a true God and eternal life. The main point is that we may know fellowship with the Father through the Son and with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. John writes that his desire is that just as he has, a, has knowledge by experience, so he desires that we would know Jesus in the same way. As we abide in Christ and he in us, he gives us understanding so that as he reveals himself to us through scripture and as we faithfully apply that scripture, then we gain that experience that he is faithful, he is with us, he is true. We know him to be true. It's a personal relationship that we enjoy with him. We come to know because we have experienced his truth, his faithfulness, and therefore we know Jesus Christ. At one point, we surrendered our lives to him as Savior. We called out to him as Lord, but then we begin to really understand and know the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our own lives, the true God and eternal life. And lastly, verse 21, which says, the little children, keep yourselves from idols. Listen, anything you place before God is an idol. Anything you trust in other than God is an idol. Anything you live for other than God is an idol. Idols will always undermine your relationship with Jesus. Idols will weaken, damage, and destroy your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ because you won't have the same desires and therefore won't desire to fellowship you won't have a desire to serve together, worship together. You won't have those desires. And it's because something else is fulfilling the only thing that God can fulfill in your life. That means anything. So protect what is of utmost importance to you, your relationship with Jesus Christ, by keeping yourselves from idols, including yourself we can set ourselves in that place i'll leave you with the these questions and i'm gonna once again ask that you would confess and repent and believe in jesus christ that that would be an act of humility for you today this morning surrendering your life to him ask him if you have not asked him to be lord and savior Confess to him that you understand your sin has separated you from him. Ask him to forgive you of that. And ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. Ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Give you a new heart. A new hope. Just a new perspective on everything. An eternal one. you know the true God and eternal life in Jesus Christ? Repent and believe. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I, I pray perhaps at this point, if we can all stand to our feet, Lord, and worship you with everything that we have. And the only reason for doing that is because you are worthy of our praise. Lord, that we would sing your praises, we would honor you with our lips because it, it comes out of the abundance of our hearts. Lord, this love and gratitude that we have toward you. And so, Father, I pray, have your way with us today. If there's anything that, that is not of you in our hearts, Father, we confess to you and ask that you would forgive us. If there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, you know, Jesus, you are the only way and the truth, and no one comes to the Father except through you. 
The word tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. I ask, Father, today that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be a day of complete and whole rejoicing toward you simply because we love you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.